and welcome to the very first interview episode of the Roots to STEM podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Katie, and today it's just me here hosting since our first interview is with my co-host, Maggie Warren. As I said in the intro episode, I had initially started this podcast as a solo venture, and Maggie was one of my first interviews. I think this interview will give you a sense of how amazing Maggie is and why it's so great that she's now going to be co-hosting with me moving forward. Maggie is such a brilliant and amazing scientist and a phenomenal human being. As you listen to this story, you'll hear many instances of Maggie coming across some opposition in her path, including people telling her she couldn't do the things she wanted to do. But Maggie persevered anyways and is now a PhD student at Stanford. Maggie has a tendency to say super insightful things, and you'll hear that multiple times today in our conversation. So I hope you take away as much from this as I did. So without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Maggie. Maggie, welcome to the Roots to STEM podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Steph. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so I think let's get started with just sort of the basics. Can you tell us who you are, what your job or position, whatever is, and then uh, a little bit about the research that you're doing right now? Sounds great. Um, So my name is Magdalena Lara Warren. Um, I'm a third-year PhD student in the Stanford Biology Department slash program. And my research focuses on the microbiome. I'm really interested in the ways that manipulating your microbiome or altering it, like with kombucha or yogurt, (laughs) can change it, and how then that affects your own health. Um, Obviously, I wish I could study it in humans and like really understand what I'm looking at, Mm -hmm. but that's really complex. So right now I'm studying it in honeybees. Um, and basically I'm just feeding them bacteria and trying to see how it affects their health. Um, but it's really awesome. You know, I'm in a great lab and I get to ask all the questions I'm curious about and nobody calls me a nerd. So how did you first become interested in science? Uh, yeah, that's, that is a great question. Um, so I guess maybe giving a little bit of my background. So my grandmother, um, on my father's side, was actually a native Mexican, like lived in adobe huts and washed her clothes in the river. Um, and so from my father, I get a lot of like natural remedies for mm-hmm. ailments. So he would always have like different jars with roots or uh, branches or, you know, like valerian root and alcohol and we'd rub it on literally everything. Um, and then obviously like vapor rub, which is really stereotypical of Latinos, but it really does cure like every I'm just kidding it doesn't well it feels like it does (laughs) (laughs) um but so my dad grew up really poor in Mexico uh and so they had to find ways of of dealing with ailments um Mm. he was also one of six I'm the oldest of six children my mother's the oldest of six children so lots of people little little amounts of money um and he came to America um and he just like was interested in everything. Like literally, I remember being a little girl and reading the dictionary with him and trying to learn words because words were power. And like we got this kit called Hooked on Phonics and our yes. favorite. Yeah, I love that. I know it was amazing. <laughs> I learned so much from it. <laughs> um, but our favorite things to read were the like advanced um, pamphlets, like the little articles they give you in there, uh, and the ones on like astronomy or mm. medicine or. Um, you know, biology, and he just, like, the way he read it and the way he was so fascinated about it made me want to be just like him. Like, I, I wanted to be that 
interesting person that he was to me. Um, and then I was actually pretty fortunate. Um, in second grade, I lived in a in front of a dairy farm. Uh, we rented a little house with an acre um, backyard and we had 75 goats and I raised like seven calves and uh, oh my God, we had ducks and chickens. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. Um, but on this little farm, we also planted tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and beans. And um, my mother would tell us about like the relationship between these plants and how they helped each other. She didn't quite understand why, but she knew that if you grew them together, they all grew better. Mm-hmm. And then my grandmother lived with us. And so I had to milk a goat every morning, at least one. I smelled really good at school. Man, <laughs> I was so popular. <laughs> but my grandmother would make yogurt. And so she'd have these criaturas is what she called them, but they're like yogurt cultures. Now that I'm older, I understand. Uh, <laughs> and she had to keep them quote unquote alive. And so she'd put them in like fresh milk and she would tell me that they would eat the milk um, and they would create yogurt. And whenever our tummies felt a little off because we're lactose intolerant, you know, um, another stereotype, but we are, uh, she'd give us yogurt and it would help us feel better. And so she'd say that it was something about the powers of these little criaturas that would cure whatever imbalance was going on in our body. And so it was like this idea of like balance and, and systems and, and nature just like taking care of itself that just like really blew my mind. And I wanted to know exactly what was going on behind the hood um, for all these things. And so I became that annoying kid of like, well, why? But I don't understand why, why does it do that? How does it do that? Yeah. And being one of six, my mother was like, I have no time to answer your questions. I don't even know the answer. Like, <laughs> you're gonna have to go figure that out on your own. Um, and so my dad actually was really, really awesome. Uh, and that he told me like, these kind of questions could be answered if I were a doctor. So he said to pursue a medical degree, that that should be my goal. So at five, that that was my goal. Um, and I knew the only way I could do it was if I got straight A's and I was the absolute best student um, in every school that I went to. So you said when you were five years old, you were like, okay, I'm going to become a doctor. And now you're in a PhD program, which eventually you will be a doctor, but not the same kind of doctor. So <laughs> how did that, how did your sort of trajectory morph over time? And how did you get from, you know, being in elementary school and whatever to sort of where you are today as a PhD student? Yeah, I love telling that story. It was a very long story. I hope that's okay. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Because yeah, I was absolutely convinced I was going to be a doctor. And I, you know, I don't want to generalize for a lot of Latinos out there, but I have found among my friends that um, it is, so successful careers are considered to be a doctor or a lawyer, especially from like immigrant parents, Mm -hmm. um, because they make the money and you have stability and you always have work, you know, even though if you're a restaurant owner, you always have work, people have to eat, but you know, that's a a different (laughs) story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I um, was a nerd, have been a nerd forever. Um, And so I did really well in school. Uh, I obviously like really focused on, on learning. It wasn't because I'm super intelligent or anything like that. It was more because my dad said that, I had to outwork everyone around me in order to be even considered as good as them. Um, and them being like uh, students whose parents were doctors and lawyers or professors and teachers, uh, because my parents were navigating this new world with me. You know, uh, my dad hadn't graduated high school and my mother did, but in Mexico, your high school is, uh, is tailored to your career. 
So you kind of decide what your career is going to be at the end of middle school. And then um, she wanted to be a fashion designer. So her high school was basically like sewing and Mm -hmm. measuring and thinking creatively. So it wasn't quite uh, like the well-rounded high school that we get here Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S. Not saying that it's bad. I mean, you're like set up for your career already before you're 18. So that also, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. Um, And so I, I worked really hard. I like put in a lot of hours and I truly believe that it doesn't matter how smart you are. It really just matters how much you want it. Um, because if you put in the time, you can learn anything, literally anything. And so I, yeah, I don't think it should hold you back if your teachers tell you that you're not smart enough or that um, you don't belong because you are. Uh, and so when I was in third and fourth grade, um, my family was having a lot of issues and my mother took us to Mexico mm-hmm. um, and so I studied in Mexico for a couple of years in Guadalajara and uh, there it's you know Mexico the system is so different I was learning algebra in <laughs> fourth grade really uh, yeah well <laughs> you, you don't learn algebra you know until like uh, sixth grade or middle school yeah yeah and I remember the first time I so in Mexico um, you get lectured at from a young age and so you have to take notes and then you get exams based on your notes and the first day I came home with my notes I didn't know how to write any Spanish I knew how to speak it because it was my first language but I never had to write it yeah and my I remember my grandmother my grandfather and my mother sitting around the table with me just being like what language is this <laughs> because I had been trying to sound out the words she was saying but writing them in English oh. <laughs> it was so awful <laughs> Uh, so I was definitely bottom of my class for the first like half year uh, but I'm proud to say that by the end of my fourth year I was top of my class and I actually got an award for it so again you can learn anything oh, yeah. <laughs> the pressure is there yeah. <laughs> you really want it <laughs> so I we came back to the U.S. when my parents mended things and uh, I was in um, the end of fourth grade because we came in the middle and I was in the ESL group because now my Spanish was incredible, I have, but I had a really strong accent and I had missed, you know, um, a year and a half, almost two years of English training. But you were so, also a fluent English speaker at this point. Is that correct? I, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But my writing and grammar were behind and my accent, my accent was really strong, hmm. um, which was, I don't know, it automatically to me, it felt like the teachers all felt like labeled me as, as dumb because I couldn't speak English as well as my peers. Um, Meanwhile, you're just completely fluent in another language as well. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, in America, that's not, uh, I know. At, at the time. Yeah. yeah. And, Especially and Spanish. Now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was really blessed. Um, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Farr, uh, so I was with the ESL kids and I was getting frustrated because like they um, dumbed down literally everything. So, you know, the math, the English, the science, everything. Um, and I was like bored. Mm. <laughs> and so my, my teacher actually recognized that and she started um, allowing me to take the spelling test with everybody else. Um, and then she saw that I was, I was really good at 
learning the words and everything. And so then she um, started letting me pick words from the dictionary that I thought were super challenging. So my vocabulary like skyrocketed. Um, and I really think that's why I ended up doing well in the PACTs and stuff. But it was because of her belief in me because she didn't, she didn't believe that the label of being an ESL student meant that I was stupid. It just meant that I was a little bit behind in my English. Um, right. And she allowed me to to prove that I was a very capable student. So I was very lucky. Oh, shout so, out to her. Amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. And, and like, you know, white woman, blonde hair, like she, she could have totally been like, uh, no, like you're not going to do well, like whatever. But she, she didn't even see my skin color. She saw a young girl who was curious and interested and motivated and she pushed me and yeah. I flourished. I, yeah, she's amazing. So yeah, fourth grade. And now I'm back with the regular kids. And then I've actually been selected for the gate program, um, which at the time was like an accelerated program for talented youth. Um, and I ended up having to take an IQ test for it, which was super weird. My mom was like, why are we doing this? Like, why are they singling you out? Blah, blah, blah. But, um, it was really great because then I was in classes with like 12 other kids and the teachers were like really invested in us because we were so intelligent, da, 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 which we weren't. We're just kids, yeah. <laughs> hyperactive kids. <laughs> but, you know, schools are trying to get their, um, like, scores up and all that stuff. And so, mm-hmm. But I think, like, the lesson there was, you know, my mom was hesitant to have me join any special programs because it could bring more attention onto our family. And although she had her green card, my, my father did not. And so, you know, there was always a fear that if somebody got too interested in us, like, they might get deported. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, I don't condone like coming into this country illegally, but if you don't have the money and you don't have the time, it's, it's really difficult. And for my dad who was so poor, like, you know, this was an opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, but like I learned my father was actually the one that supported me in this, um, in like taking the test and whatever. And I just realized like, although it might bring special attention, which is not what I wanted ever, that's <laughs> not the kind of person I am. Uh, it was a great opportunity. And by taking this opportunity, it opened doors for my siblings. Um, um, but funny, in this private school, uh, in seventh grade, so growing up, we had a computer, but it was a DOS computer. So like back in the day, you had to like type in capital C colon slash, and then the command that you wanted it to run uh, mm-hmm. to play your games and stuff. And it didn't have a mouse. I actually didn't even know what a mouse was. And so I'm in my computer class, computer science class, uh, in seventh grade, it's my first day, and the teacher's like, double click on this icon on the desktop. And so I'm like sitting there like looking around, I can't quite figure out what she means, and I just feel like my stomach like drop. Yeah. And I'm like anxious and sweating, and so I, I can't do it. So I'm just kind of like listening and pretending like I'm following along, and she walks around. And so she comes up behind me and she's like, Maggie, I told you to double click that. And I was like, um, I actually don't know what that means. And she was like, the next time you're this disrespectful to me, you're going to detention for a week. And so then she walked past me and the, <laughs> the gentleman next to me um, pointed out what the mouse was and how you double click and stuff and helped me out. But it just was so frustrating to me that yeah. there was something that I didn't know because I wasn't privileged enough to have a mouse, but she, assumed that I was being disrespectful and I'm not sure why she assumed that I was being disrespectful because I'm pretty sure it is a question that can be asked but it did discourage me 
in asking questions. Yeah. Especially particularly because I thought that there would be negative consequences for things that I should already know, even though I didn't know that I should already know it. Yeah. It's, and I think that that's like a really big struggle being like a first generation low income student um, because there's experiences like double clicking a mouse that you may not know or uh, even realize they exist. Mm -hmm. And then you're put into an environment where everybody does. Um, and so there's many condescending looks or yeah. uh, it's always a remark that you're being disrespectful or you're just being loud or trying to get attention um, sometimes because I mean, it sounds awful because I'm Mexican, right? Like we're dramatic and we're loud and we love attention, which are all things that I don't think I am. No. Uh, <laughs> but our telenovelas, just like uh, soap operas here in the U.S., like they magnify things because then it's it's uh, entertainment. Right. Well, that doesn't mean that that's how you are. Um, right. So that that was really tough for me. Okay, so then you finish up high school, and then what does the what did it look like for you applying to college and making that transition? My advisor was like, "You should go to community college. Like, don't apply for the universities. It's it's really competitive." Um, but one of my friends from the private school, her mother was a school counselor at another school, and so she was like, "Apply. Like, what do you have to lose? I will walk you through the applications." Um, and so my parents were like, well, we can't pay for it and we don't have time to help you. So whatever it is you want to do, you do, but do it on your own time. And so she was really great. She gave me a lot of her time and she sat down with me and helped me apply for the universities. Um, and I was, I was really lucky. Like I, I'm not good at standardized tests, but I am good at learning from my mistakes. And so I took the PSAT over and over and over and over, uh, <laughs> until I was like a national merit scholar or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there's fee waivers for that. Like we didn't pay anything for that. And then I took the SAT same way. Um, and it was just like drilling those words into my head, right? Like I'd record them and I'd listen to them or whatever. Uh, and I, I got into, you know, a lot of schools. I got into UC Berkeley, UC San Diego, um, UC Riverside, UC Irvine. Uh, I got into a few schools on the East Coast, um, Johns Hopkins, but they didn't offer me a financial package right away. And so Johns Hopkins had been my dream school. Like I wanted to go there so bad. Um, but I couldn't go there if they I couldn't take out the loans for that much money. Right. And I didn't realize that, like, once you accept, they work with you. <laughs> they give you a package, but... Uh, yeah, that's weird, though. I feel like most places tell you on the front end what the package would be. I agree, it's yeah. It's so hard to know otherwise. Because exactly. what if they're like, oh, actually, you get nothing, and then... You're like, oh, I can't go here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I was having a lot of trouble with my family, um, and, you know, I... I had actually been kicked out of my home, unfortunately, because of differences with my mother. Uh, again, being like scientific minded, I questioned everything about religion and she was super religious. So uh, there were issues there. Mm, and she needed my father to come back home and he couldn't come back home if I was there um, because of support issues. So she kicked me out and I lived in my car for a day. And then my friend let me stay with her. The friend who's school counselor had helped me apply for jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I decided I wanted to go as far away from my home as possible. I needed some space. And yeah. my boyfriend at the time had gone to American University. <laughs> and I had gotten a really good financial package from them, like a really solid uh, scholarship. And I would know somebody there. So I went to American University. In hindsight, I should have gone to UC San Diego uh, because they had a computer science program and a bioengineering program and all these things. Or UC Berkeley because it was prestigious. But I followed 
love. And I went to American University. <laughs> this is in DC, right? American it University. Is. Yeah, in DC. And so uh, that was the first time I got like a really huge culture shock. Um, people there were wealthy. The students there were really wealthy. One of the, my friends, so I went in on this like university program because I was interested in biology. And so they started you a little bit early and you got to make friends with people on your floor and whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls, like I remember she would make uh, these roasted pecans with sugar and cinnamon mm-hmm. all the time. And I loved them. Oh my God. <laughs> and she was like, it's really easy to make Maggie. Like here, here are the things you need. But I couldn't afford the bag of pecans that she used, so I couldn't uh, make it. And I felt really embarrassed to tell her that, you know. Uh, so there was that. And then there was my friend who would go out and buy $200 pairs of jeans. And I was still getting my jeans at Ross because I needed anything under 20 bucks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was really different, like, yeah. going out to dinner with them, and they would spend, like, 70 bucks a pop. And I was like. I not think about it. Yeah, not yeah. even. It was, like, mommy and daddy's credit card. Yep. And so that was, that was really difficult for me because I was proud that I had gotten into American University and that I was the first in my family to go to college. And I didn't want them to think any less of me. And so I got three jobs. I was an administrative assistant for public safety. I uh, worked at Magianos. I, was a, I lied to them and said I'd been a server in California. And so <laughs> they made me a server. <laughs> and I was a really terrible server. <laughs> And then they realized that was not good. So I got to put it to hostess, but then they, they turned me up to server. Okay. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and tips in DC, amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, people have money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then I applied to be a resident assistant. Um, so, you know, I checked in packages, and, and I was in charge of the floors. So I had little programs and stuff for them. Mm-hmm. But it meant that between my classes and my three jobs, I was sleeping, like, three or four hours a night if I was wow. lucky. And I, like, lived on Red Bull. Oh my God. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. So how many hours a week were you working on average? Um, I think at least 40. Whoa. Yeah. And you were a full-time student. Yeah. Damn. So recipe for disaster, right? I'm only human. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I took my first organic chemistry exam my sophomore year and I failed it. Um, And then I had a biology, like general biology class. And I remember like I only had a few hours to study for it. Um, and so I failed it too. Like I had been uh, relying on my ability to just remember things like from high school, but it wasn't the same in college. You like really had to understand them. And I didn't know how to study. I didn't realize that I couldn't just get away with like last minute studying right. in college. Um, and then the other problem was I go to the library to try not to fall asleep on my bed and then I fall asleep on the chairs there. So it yeah. wasn't working for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my sophomore year, um, it was 2008 and the housing crisis happened. Mm-hmm. And so my dad lost his job and he was the only income in my family. Uh, and my parents were going to lose their house. We had actually like finally bought a house when I turned 13, mm-hmm. um, for 165,000. So cheap. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they were afraid they were going to lose it. And so I had been sending money home, but it wasn't enough. Um, and I was struggling in my classes. So I, I felt that I was wasting my scholarship, which by the way, they told me my sophomore year that I only had one year left because I had walked in as a sophomore because of all the AP and IB classes I had. And so I would have to pay full price for my last year or take out a full loan for that. And I was like, mm, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> yeah. I would have gone somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. I know. It was awful. But all of it together, I just realized like I couldn't, 
I didn't want to be at American University anymore. I couldn't do the three jobs. And it was more important for me to take care of my family yeah. because part of our culture is, right, like, familia, like, they're the core. They're the most important part. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are going to help you succeed because they're there for you. So I came back to California um, and I got a couple jobs here. <clears throat> and I didn't want to be that stereotype that like college dropout, Latinos can't make it through, like they're lazy, blah, blah, blah. Even though I knew I hadn't been lazy, but it felt like it. And so I started taking some community college classes. But anyways, fast forward. So I continue to work. I'm paying the mortgage, taking care of my siblings until my youngest sister turns 18. Uh, So at this point, I'm 28. Um, And I've been a server and a bartender. So I actually was making more money than my friends who had graduated and gotten a degree. Um, You know, they were starting out like 40 grand and I was making like 80. So I was like, what do you need a degree for? Like, this is this is it. And I fit in really well at the restaurants. The chefs all spoke Spanish and they called me Mija and I called them Theo. And like, it was like my culture. And then, you know, as a bartender, I got to hear stories from people like lawyers and doctors and teachers. And they would complain and tell me like the bad parts of their, of their jobs. And I realized that literally everything has a bad part. Like there's not going to be a job that you're not going <laughs> to have a bad part. Uh, and my schedule was really flexible. Um, but there was one day where, you know, I was talking to a lawyer he was like, you know, you're too smart for this. Like, you like listen really well and you're attentive and you remember things. Like, why are you here? And I was like, oh, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I can do anything else. I failed classes when I went to university and I make more money than my friends. So I don't really see the point. And he was like, right now you make more money, but you're young. Do your feet ever hurt? Does your back ever hurt? And I was like, well, yeah, but that's just part of work. Like, you know, my parents worked at restaurants and my dad cleaned carpets. Like, having pain, working really long hours, that's, that's part of life. And he was like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, work doesn't have to be painful. Right. And I was like, what? And he's like, I go to work and I love it. I mean, there are annoying clients and sometimes I have to read a lot of really dumb stuff, but (laughs) I love it. And if my back hurts, I move. Or if I can't focus, I take a day off. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you're too smart. You should do something else. And my husband had been trying to say that to me for a long time. Um, my boyfriend at the time, fiance. Uh, but I didn't quite believe him, you know, because he liked me. So, of course, he was going to tell me I was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but this lawyer, like, really struck me. I decided to start saving up for college. Um, and so I was like, where am I going to go? And I applied to – I had applied to a few universities back when I was 20. I had applied to Cal State Fullerton and UC Irvine. And they had both rejected me because of my failed grades. And so I had been like, okay, I can't make it. Like, clearly, if I can't make it into Cal State Fullerton, and I had been accepted to UC Berkeley, <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> uh, but there's a university really near to where I lived with my fiance at the time, um, Cal State Dominguez Hills. And it was the most diverse of the Cal States. It also had the lowest standards of the Cal State. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really look at your grades that much. Um, they were the cheapest university. And so I was like, can't get accepted there then okay yes university is not for me um but I applied and they accepted me and I saved up the money for it and I went back in 2016 and so Dominguez Hills like everybody was brown like white people were the minority and everybody had jobs and we all took evening classes that we had work in the morning or we met on the weekdays because we had to work on the weekends and it was like I found people just like me who were struggling and who were older and who life, you know, the path hadn't been straight. And I like found like a lot of like family there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so then I was in my biology class because I had taken biology at American University and I had taken the AP biology exam, but because it had been so long, um, they weren't going to accept everything. So I had to take the third part of the biology, general biology class. Okay. Um, um, and so in this biology class, it's being taught by an English professor. He's quite old. He actually just retired. Um, but he had this beautiful voice, obviously. Uh, and I loved his lectures. But there was a, it's like he loved his lectures. Like he mm. talked about evolution and about, you know, the tree of life and like out, you know, speciation. And I was just like, it was riveting. It was like a story. It wasn't yeah. like science. It was like life, you know? I don't know. He just yeah. like, oh my God. And I would get like chills in his class. And so one day after class, I was just like, you are an incredible professor. I've never met a professor like you. Like, how did you become this way? And so he shared his story with me about like, even coming from England, he was actually from there and meeting an American girl and like marrying her. And she was a professor there too and everything. And he was like, you know, I think you could actually be a professor. And I was like, no, I couldn't. Are you crazy? I can't even talk in front of a group of people and be a professor. Teach other people things? No. And he was like, I see you like, you like the science. You do really well. And you're very well-spoken. Like you could do it. And it's a really rewarding career. And I was like, well, how do you become a professor? Mm -hmm. Like what goes into that? And he was like, well, you have to get a PhD. And I was like, what is a PhD? <laughs> and he's like, it's a doctor degree. And I was like, oh, so you become like a doctor? And he's like, yeah, but not that kind of doctor. I was like, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so at this point, I'm feeling kind of dumb or whatever. But he's like, there's this program on campus, LSAMP, the Lewis Stokes Alliance for Minority Participation, I think, or something like that, minority program. Um, go talk to Gabby, who was our, like, administrative assistant for the biology department, and, you know, she can set you up. Mm -hmm. And so I went and talked to Gabby, and I was like, hey, I don't really know why I'm here, but, you know, the professor told me to come, and he said that there was a program, and I'm really sorry if I'm, like, asking for too much time. It's just annoying. Just tell me to go away. And she's like, oh, my God, stop. <laughs> she's like, this program is meant for you. Like, here's what you do. Um, when I started at Dominguez Hills, I was trying to get my biology degree to be a biology teacher because I figured I just needed to finish my degree, whatever. I wanted to be able to say that I have graduated college. And then I talked to my fiance at the time and I was like, I think I want a master's. You know, it feels like everybody has a bachelor's now to compete. You need a master's. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. You know, we signed up for two years. And so the LSAMP program had like an admissions, uh, graduate school admissions, like workshop. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really close with Gabby again, cause she's a human. And when you make those human connections, right, you, you become friends. Like you're not just a number. Yeah. And I was like, can I bring my husband? Because he doesn't support my going to graduate school. And I really want him to see why I really want to go. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, sure. Like he can come. I was like, great. Well, he got so inspired by the <laughs> workshop that he went out and applied for an MBA program and got in like right away. <laughs> so I was like, wait a second. I was going to graduate school. This is about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why did you make it about you? <laughs> and at the time, you know, I was told like at Dominguez Hills, people didn't go straight to graduate school. Often you had to go to a master's program first. Mm -hmm. um, it was really unheard of. Like one or two students had made it straight to graduate school, I think, from the RISE program. And so I was like, Adam, I'm going to need to apply like everywhere and I'm probably not going to get into many places. So I might have to move out of state and I can't have you like keep us here in California because you're in an MBA program. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I understand, but we could do long distance and it'd only be for a couple of years. And I was like, fine, whatever. I'm going to apply to all the schools anyway. 
but so come my senior year and we're applying for graduate programs. Oh, and during my REU, I was actually really lucky. Again, I've just been really lucky my whole life. Uh, and you work was, really hard. Don't, <laughs> do not just put this all on luck. Here, true, here. true. The harder I work, the luckier I get, right? That's something my dad told me when I was a little girl and I thoroughly, totally believe it. At the time, so one of my roommates was a um, affluent white woman from um, Colorado, and she was going to school in Wyoming, um, and her parents were scientists. And so, you know, I'm talking about applying to grad school, and how do you find out, like, where you want to go? Is it important to go to a prestigious school, like, whatever? And she would answer my questions, and then she was like, how many professors have you emailed? And I was like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, oh my gosh, you need to email professors. And I was like, they, like, win Nobel Prizes they will never look at my email. It will literally be labeled spam. Why would I ever, what if I write something bad and they do remember me and then they decide they don't want to take me? I can't do that. (laughs) And she was like, it's simple. And so she sat down with me and, and like wrote an email with me, just like a, not labeled to anyone, but she was like, here's the formula. You say, hello, you do a little research on them and tell them about how their research is awesome. And then you tell them about how your interests could align or help or uh, are the same as theirs. And then you ask them to pretty please look at your application. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was super helpful. And then my full semester, I had a friend who um, had not been accepted into the RISE program and had also been told that he wouldn't succeed because he hadn't gotten good grades. He was actually from like the bad part of Long Beach, I guess. <laughs> and so he barely uh, graduated high school. But he like, he was so brave. Like he sent emails, like, I don't know, five a day, every day that wow. semester. He was just intense. And I was too afraid to send my first email. So he literally sat down with me and made me send my first email. <laughs> and he and my advisors, the, the two professors, I was like, uh, one was a botanist and one was a microbiologist. And they had a project that combined both fields and they hadn't found somebody to do it. And I was like, I'm interested in whatever I will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were like, they knew about Tatsukami because Rachel Vanette had come to speak at our school. There was like a seminar series where people would come and speak. Mm-hmm. And she was like huge, right? Because she was from UC Davis, which was like super prestigious. Uh, and she had worked with Tatsukami. So they were like, you should apply. He's asking for students. And I was like, absolutely not. There's no way I can get into Stanford. Like I am 29. Like <laughs> I started college at 18. It's been 11 years. There's absolutely no way he's going to be like, what is wrong with you? Why would you even apply? what um but they made me (laughs) literally I was sitting there and my two professors were in front of me and my friend was beside me and they had my computer open and they made me type what they said and then they pressed send and I was like there goes my career everything is done (laughs) he's going to tell everyone that I am awful and that I think I'm better than I am (laughs) and I went home and I told Adam this and then I get like a little chime on my phone and I've got an email from Tadashi Takami and he wants to Skype with me like in three days. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I don't even know what to do. (laughs) So I went into school the next day. I went straight to my advisor's office, the botanist. And I was like, this professor has asked to Skype with me. How do I not mess this up? And she was like, okay, well, first of all, you're going to do it in my office because I don't know what the backgrounds in your home look like. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> She's like, you're going to use my computer because I'm, I'm not sure your, com- I had a really old computer. She's like, I'm not sure your computer will make it all the way through. <laughs> and we're going to practice. And so we practiced for a couple of days. She just would ask me like random questions. Um, and she was like, right before the interview, she like popped me into her 
her office and she was like, I'm, you know, in class, but if you need anything, like just come out to bother me. And she's like, and just remember, he's a human. Talk to him like he's a human. He may be a superstar, but he's just human. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had the interview with Tad and he was wonderful. He was kind. He laughed. He asked questions. He remembered things that I had said, which was something that didn't happen very often for me. And he allowed me to talk, which again, like people tend to talk over me and I tend to let them. So it was just amazing. And he was like, okay, it's really hard to get into Stanford. There's a lot of competition, but if you can get past the first part of the application, I would take you into my lab. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this superstar professor would take me to his lab. Oh my God, I'm reacting to this story that I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> 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 it was so emotional, you know? <laughs> um, so I turned in my application and forgot about it. Um, and then we started doing, we had to apply to 10 graduate programs as part of the RISE program, at least. And they were like, they have to be in other states because California schools are really competitive and you guys won't get into them. And so my best friend, Jocelyn, who's now at Johns Hopkins, and Ivan, the gentleman who had made me send the email to Tad, uh, we sat down and we just applied. We like shotgunned it. Uh, but I only applied to California schools and then University of Wisconsin Medicine um, because they have like an amazing microbiology program that I had heard of and I like desperately wanted to go there. But I didn't want to live really far away from my husband at the time. Right. And uh, so we had to give the director a list of all the schools we had applied to. And he was like, you've made a strategically bad decision. You're not going to get into any of these schools. You didn't apply to any safety schools. You have to apply to a safety school. And we had a connection with UT Austin. Um, she had the like director of admissions that come and talk to us. And she was really close to the director. So she was like, you know, yeah, like apply. I, I will get your application through. And so I applied there. Also, even though I didn't want to go to Texas, because it's so hot <laughs> and humid, and my hair does not do well in humidity, and I need Southern California weather. <laughs> um, just kidding. Those are not reasons not to go, but they were my reasons. Those are valid and, reasons. <laughs> right, dude? Like, you step outside, you need to take another shower. I yeah, can't. I, that totally I, impacts your quality of life. I sure. agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so January comes around, and we start getting our invitations to interview and I get an invitation from UT Austin but I don't want to go and I don't want to waste the time so I reject it mm -hmm. and the director calls me into his office and he's like how could you be so stupid this might be the only invitation you get to interview and you've just given it away did you not even want to go into a PhD program and I was like I want to ask interesting questions. Yes. Like the professor had said, I want to study biology. I want to contribute to cancer solutions or whatever it is that I can do to change the world. Yeah. But I don't want to do it in Texas. Right. <laughs> and he was like, whatever, you're not going to get in. I was like, okay, fine. And I started getting emails. Uh, Scripps invited me to interview. UC San Diego invited me. University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, Stanford. Like UCLA. Like everybody was inviting me. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is my last semester of my senior year. How am I going to do all these interviews? Yeah. I wasn't allowed to say no to any interviews anymore, right? Because I had said no to UT Austin. Yeah. And my advisors were like, you can only do three. Like, come on, pick three and do it. But I was like, I can't. I'm going to get in trouble and I really need the money from the research. <laughs> and I can't give that up. And so I went to all the interviews and they were exhausting. But I met so many interesting people. Like, yeah. at my UC Davis interview, I met this girl, Joy. And literally, she 
is joy. Beautiful, wonderful, caring soul. And she, she studied how bacteria in sewers take up um, like antibiotic resistant genes. It just like, I was like, you can study that? Whoa. <laughs> and then, you know, I just, people were so impressive and they asked such good questions. Obviously I didn't ask any questions because I was afraid that if I asked a question, it was really dumb. I'd be told never to be so disrespectful again, blah, blah, blah. Like, thank you, seventh grade. <laughs> Um, but I just like, I knew that I wasn't going to get into any other programs, but it was an opportunity to talk to famous, incredible, successful people and like really ask them how they had been successful. Mm-hmm. And everybody's story was different. Like one of my most memorable interviews was actually your advisor, Lauren O'Connell, and just like talking to her about the frogs and talking about the potential where the molecules are coming from and getting goosebumps as we talked about it and thinking about like what you could ask and how you could experiment and her just getting excited about it. Oh my God. That like, I will never forget that interview. She just made me feel like, like I could be her someday. Like I could be successful. And then she told me a little bit about her background and I was like, wow, like your story really mirrors mine a lot. Yeah. And, and you are here. You're a professor at Stanford. Wow. If anything, I'm going to be a badass high school teacher for sure. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I finished all the interviews and then the acceptances started coming in and I got accepted to all the schools. Who knows why? <laughs> and then I got the NSFPRP and the snowball was huge now, you know, it's like yeah. rolling down that mountain. So now I'm having to decide on the school and I'm crying on the treadmill as I think about going to Stanford because holy God, Stanford is the opener of all doors. Yeah. People talk about Stanford all over the world and they want me. And I'm being wanted is something that you don't necessarily feel as a first generation low income student. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe it. Um, and, you know, then I went to Stanford, I ended up in Tad Pekami's lab, and here we are. Yeah. It's been a ride, but wow. now I get to ask those questions that make me itch or give me goosebumps or yeah. I get excited about. And, yeah, and a university as prestigious as a Stanford actually wanted little old me who didn't know how to double-click a mouse. When you look back on everything, like, what are you most proud of? I think... When I look back on everything, I'm most proud of not being, well, I was afraid, but asking people for help and talking to the people I admired, realizing that they were humans just like me. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, there was a lot of hard work and there were a lot of like failures and a lot of successes, but those connections I made, those memories I have with Lauren O'Connell and, you know, Mrs. Farr and Mrs. Amell, like... They were the, they opened the doors for me. And if I hadn't talked to them, I would have never known those doors were even there. Yeah. So I really think like, I don't even think it's a pride thing. Just like realizing that you deserve to ask questions and that people want to answer those questions. Yeah. You've had so many instances of people being like, I don't know, like, you know, not believing in you. And through them all, you've been like, well, I don't care what you have to say. Like, (laughs) I know that I can do this and I'm going to do it no matter what you say. And that's just like, that's so amazing. Oh, thank you. You know, you make it sound way better than it is. It's more like, I'm just like, why? Why do you think I can't do it? And then they can't give you a good reason. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't try it and I'm right where I am. Or I try it and I fail and I'm right where I am. Yeah. 
And I got that from my dad. Like, yeah, that's such a great if, way to look at it. Exactly. If you don't try, you're right where you are. So what does it hurt in trying? Yeah. It takes a little more effort, but if you fail, you don't really have to sell anybody <laughs> unless you put that's it on true. Facebook or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, nobody knows. And I failed a lot, obviously. Um, but I've also been really successful. So I think that that's just something to keep in mind. Like, it doesn't matter what your background is or who your parents are or what the, your color, the color of your skin is. Like, you can do whatever it is you want to do. And there are people out there who want to help you. It just takes, like, talking to them and bugging them and realizing that they're humans and they have desires and passions too. And if you find those that align with yours, they can help you because they want to. So yeah, yeah learning that my teachers were my, my friends was really helpful to me. Yeah. yeah. And like thinking about them as like family, right. Cause they were like my tia or my, my abuelita who was going to come and defend me like yeah. back home. <laughs> uh, and I think I was really lucky in, in not being that intimidated by them back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Uh, email would be great. Um, should I state it? Is that okay? Yeah. And then I yeah. can put it in like the show notes eventually. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, email would be great. I take a little while. So, you know, give me a day or two to respond, but I will respond. I promise. Um, and it's mlwarren at stanford.edu. Cool. Yeah. I would love to hear from anyone. Uh, any questions there are no stupid questions you cannot know how to double click and I will show you it'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) love it okay thank you so much Maggie for this this has been so so awesome oh thank you Steph but I always love talking about myself this is the best (laughs) thing ever just kidding no I I hope that this is helpful to somebody somewhere and then it will make it all worth it I think it will be (laughs) thank you again thank you Steph Isn't Maggie the best? I hope you found some useful nuggets in there. I know I certainly did. During our interview, Maggie mentioned SACNIS, which is the Society for Advancement of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Native Americans in Science, and also the NSFREU, which stands for the Research Experience for Undergraduates Program, which may be of interest to some of you listening. So I put links to both of those things in the show notes, as well as a variety of ways for you to contact us with comments or questions or feedback. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would really love to hear from you. Our email is roots to stem podcast at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, roots to stem podcast. Or you can leave us a rating or review in your podcast listening app of choice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.